So I was uh, wrestling with my boys in the living room, and I had my computer on my couch, and somehow my uh, foot swang up and cracked my computer screen. I haven't even had this computer for a year. Our van door won't shut at home, so we got tarp over that. Can't fit it into the garage. Our garage door broke. Um, what else? What else we got going on at the Cockrell House? So it's been uh, one of those uh, weeks, but there's been plenty of good things mixed in there too. And I told Mary, you know what I'm grateful for? I really think, like, I have not been stressed out about it. I'm so grateful that God's allowing me to live in his easy yoke in the midst of those things that can be a bit frustrating. And we uh, purchased a used above-ground pool on, on uh, Craigslist, and so... Uh, we've been working hard the last several days to get that up and running, and for the most part, <laughs> we think it will hopefully hold for this season. Uh, so we ran into some, some issues there, but I tell you what, Ryan and Janelle and Andy Cochlin were awesome. There's no way without their help we would have the pull-up. We got the potters coming in from Montreal, so that was the goal is every single time they come here, it is smoking hot. And we got, you know, a 1,500-square-foot house, and we got uh, nine of us all in there. And, yeah, so now go swim, right, and cool off. So we're excited about that. Um, I am happy to be able to continue progressing through the Sermon on the Mount. It may not have been, this, hopefully it's been helpful for you. If it hasn't been helpful for you, it's been super helpful for me. And I've learned so much as I've journeyed through Jesus' greatest teaching. Um, we're going to keep looking at what it means to live in his upside-down kingdom in the midst of this uh, world. Um, <laughs> one of the things that Jesus taught is that, look, anybody can be a part of my kingdom. Anybody from any place can be a part of my kingdom. The only requirement is you come with humility, right? You come before me with humility, with repentance, and a commitment to be a disciple of Christ. A commitment to be with Jesus, to learn from him how to live like him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And for all who will humbly come to Jesus in this way, that we're accepted, right? We become a part of God's family. And the most amazing power, God's own power that resurrects comes and it lives inside of us. And it starts to rework and just really change us from the inside out. And so then our behavior gets radically changed also. And so we're, we've been talking about how the ways of God's kingdom are different and what that will look like in real life. And we're going to continue to do that this morning. So I'm trying to figure out if there's a way for me to scroll. See, this was a touch screen. But the screen does no, no longer responses to, to the touch. So let me pray. We're going to be in Matthew 6. We'll check that out. I think I'm good, Haley, but thank you. Um, Haley's got my sermon notes, hard copy, so that's good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you love us so much 
that you have made access to your kingdom available to us. Um, through a great sacrifice, the sacrifice of your son. We are so grateful for that. And then you didn't stop there. You poured out your spirit upon us and in us. You've given us a new heart, a completely new identity. We are new creatures, new creations in you. And a big part of discipleship is us waking up to this reality and learning to live out of it and from it. Lord, I pray that as we look at Matthew 6, it would be another step in that direction, that we would live more fully in accordance with who we truly now are in you. We love you, Jesus. Be our teacher. Feed our souls, our daily bread today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me read the passage to you again here. It's the passage that Jerry read to you. It's Matthew, or not Jerry, Brett, sorry. It's Matthew 6, 1 through 8, and then verses, I'm going to skip down to just read 6, 17, and 18. 16, 17, and 18. So 6, 1 through 8, and then 16 through 18. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place." And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Skipping down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad continence. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Last week, I mentioned that when Jesus trains us in the way of the kingdom, in the ways of his kingdom, he has us engaged in certain spiritual practices, certain spiritual disciplines that open us up to receive his transformative grace. A spiritual discipline, I know that's a word that it just sounds horrible, doesn't it? But it's not meant to be horrible. So a spiritual discipline is, and and I'm borrowing this from Dallas Willard, is an activity in our power that we do 
that puts us in a position to receive God's grace to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Let me read that again. A spiritual discipline is an activity in our power that we do that puts us in a position to receive God's grace to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Last week I mentioned how Jesus commanded his disciples to love their enemies. I said that's probably in all the Sermon of the Mount and maybe in all of Jesus' commands. That's probably the most difficult command. So Jesus, he made this command, but then he said, I want you to engage in two practices, two spiritual disciplines. I want you to pray for your enemy, and I want you to look to do good things for your enemy. Now, surely I think the reason Jesus told them to engage in these practices was because it would be a way for them to love their enemy. But I think there was an additional reason why Jesus said, hey, engage in these practices. It was going to soften their heart towards their enemy. It was going to do something in their soul that would actually make them become the sort of person that can naturally love their enemy from the heart. Jesus knows what practices we need to engage in. There's nothing magical about spiritual disciplines. They simply place us before God in a posture in which we can receive God's grace. The magic is in God's power. The magic is in God's grace that produces the growth in the transformation. Now, remember... If we train with Jesus, it's going to keep us from the two errors that people often make when they look at Jesus' commands. And I, I, I'd be shocked if anybody can remember those from last week. You probably can't. Here are the two errors. The first one is this. Some people look at Jesus' commands and they say, these are impossible. There's no way anybody can obey these. Love your enemies? No way. He surely didn't mean for that to literally be followed, right? It's just there to show us how sinful we are and that we need a Savior. So don't worry about keeping it. Don't concern yourself with keeping it. That's an error, right? If you read the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clearly meant for his commands to be followed. You know, if you build your house... Uh, If you follow and obey, you're like building your house on a rock, right? He talks about that at the end of his sermon. Other people make the other error where they say, oh, yes, Jesus meant for us to follow these commands. And so they strive and they strain by mere willpower to try and follow Jesus' commands, which leads to a whole bunch of failure and guilt, Uh, this, this nasty cycle of failure and guilt. Is there a better way? Yes, there is a better way. We disciple. We are are apprentices to Jesus. And he trains us. And as he trains us, we engage in these spiritual practices that he uses to enable us to do what we can't do now by direct effort. Training, not trying harder and pulling your boot you know, yourself up by your bootstraps is the way to spiritual formation, is the way 
to spiritual growth. So we're going to look at, in, in, our, uh, in our passage, Jesus mentions, guess what? Three more spiritual practices that we can engage in. He mentions giving, he mentions fasting, and he mentions giving, fasting, prayer is what he mentions. So he adds from last week, you know, prayer and doing good works to your enemy. He adds now giving onto that and fasting onto that. So, and notice that when Jesus, he mentions these, he clearly expected his disciples to engage in them. He didn't say, um, if you fast. He didn't say, if you pray. He didn't say, um, if you do a charitable deed. He says, when you do these things, when you do them, Jesus expected his disciples to engage in these practices, right? Jesus himself engaged in these practices. He fasted for 40 days. I'm not trying that. I'm not trying that, right? He often got alone to pray early in the morning, right? And of course, charitable deeds, unmatched, right? Jesus engaged in these disciplines. Now, what this passage illustrates so clearly is that these spiritual disciplines can be misused. They can be misused. And the way that they're being misused in this passage is that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were engaging in these practices so that people would look at them and say, man, that guy has it together. That guy is a godly man. Oh, my goodness. That's why they were engaging in these practices. Let's zero in on that just a bit here. So, Jesus wrote about the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. He wrote that they love particular seats at parties. They love to be called rabbi, which would be like, you know, today, doctor or professor, they loved to, um, when they prayed and when they fasted and when they did good deeds, they loved to do it in public so that they would be noticed. Why? Because they wanted the approval of people. That's what they were after. That's the God that they were worshiping, is the approval of man. They wanted people to see their religious deeds and think good about them, right? They treasured people looking at them as these holy, righteous men. They probably loved to hear, you know, God must really love them. Look at how they pray. God must really love them. Look, they're fasting. Wow, I wish I could be like them. Now, <laughs> The Pharisees' prayers, they were long, they were elaborate, they would do this in public. They had set times of prayers from what I read, they had set times of praying, and it didn't matter what they were doing, if they were in the middle of the work, they were going to stop, they were going to pray, it didn't matter, it didn't matter what they were doing. If they were in the middle of a street, they would stop and they would pray. Obviously, they didn't have to worry about cars, 
horses or something, right? Um, I read that a Pharisee, they wrote, um, the religious leaders wrote, you know, the, the tradition was that even if a king greeted you, you did not break prayer or you didn't break free from your set prayer to respond to that salutation is what I read. So we also <laughs> read about in our passage that these religious leaders, when they were fasting, it's, they acted like they were hit by like a semi-truck, right? They wanted to make sure everybody knew that they were suffering for, for God. And then you read about the trumpet blowing, right? So there would be a trumpet that would blow in the temple that would signal the people to come and give in Jerusalem. And so you can just imagine the Pharisee in his religious garb because what they wore was all about I'm better than you and I want people to look up to me for whatever. So you can just imagine the Pharisee making his way to the temple. If you were behind him, he may just stop abruptly Start praying these long, elaborate prayers. Surely when he went to the temple, he was making sure everybody noticed him putting in this big sum of money. This is what Jesus was saying these guys did. And what does he call them? He calls them hypocrites. That word means, in the Greek, an actor. And they lived, obviously, in the world of no TVs, no YouTube, no Netflix. And so what people did for entertainment back in Jesus' day is they went to theaters. There were theaters all around. There was a, a theater, how many miles? It was, not, it was only a few miles from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. There was a theater, and there would be plays. And people would go there and watch these plays for entertainment. And so Jesus uses this example, this illustration, because his audience would have been really in the know and familiar with actors, right? And when you think about actors, even today, because, you know, it's very similar, right? Um, what are they doing? They are being something that they are not, Right? And they so want to fool their audience that they even, like, do a whole bunch of training to get into that character and become that character so that their performance on screen is compelling, right? I was reading about The Notebook about a, uh, a few days ago. I get on kicks where I read about the most random things. This is proof. In South Carolina... Is Wes Manny? It was filmed there. Did you meet the actors? Like, <laughs> anyways, so Ryan Gosling, right? He he went into all this training. Had, he worked with a, a guy that built the Adirondack chairs that were on the front of the house in the movie of the house. You know, if you saw it, um, just to learn and. and um, I forget the lady's name, but she went through etiquette classes and even took ballet and went to weddings in Char Charleston, South Carolina, to really try and experience what it would be like living there in the 1940s so that they could get into character. 
Here's the thing. They were acting so well. They were so faking us out. Those two didn't get along at all during the making of the movie. In fact, there was a, a moment where the, Ryan Gosling and the, the female lead, they were filming a scene. He stopped in the middle, called the director over and said, you got to do something about her. I cannot go on like this. So what happened? They were acting. They were pretending to be something they were not. That kiss in the rain, it was miserable. <laughs> miserable. I think I added a syllable. <laughs> Jesus is saying, we, well, we'll get to us. The religious leaders of his day, this is what they were doing. They were putting on a performance. They were lying because they, they were pretending to be something they were not. No, nothing has really changed in 2,000 years. I really believe that pretense is an epidemic in today's culture. People are pretending to be something that they're not. People are posers. People are fronting, as we said in seventh grade. They're pretending to be something they're not. Look at social media. That's what it is. I am putting my best foot forward, trying to think, make people think that I've got it all together and i got this beautiful family and we're happy all the time and we take these great vacations and, right? But before we look down our noses at the religious leaders and the people in our world today, we got to look at ourselves. I guarantee, I, I do, I guarantee that every person in this room struggles with this very thing. I, I'm willing to bet that every person in this room is pretending in some way. Let me ask you some questions. Do you attempt in subtle ways to make yourself look better than what you are? Remember how I lied to the physical therapist? Remember that? Do you look for subtle ways to toot your own horn? Because if we do it subtly, it's like under this veil of righteousness. And Do you embellish your stories? Do you exaggerate your strengths? Do you downplay your weaknesses? Do you figure out how to weave the good that you're doing into conversations? Do you let people see you for who you really are, warts and all? Are you open and honest and transparent, especially with your failures and struggles? Or are you guarded? Do you always come here with a fake smile plastered on your face? When's the last time you told somebody that you were really wrong? I wonder. Do you find it hard to tell people no? Are you constantly worrying about what people think of you? Are you constantly afraid that you've offended someone? Do you put a bunch of pressure on yourself to say the right things all the time to people? 
to take a phrase from Dave Ramsey, do you buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like? <laughs> Are you really focused on how your body looks? Are you really particular about how you dress? Can you not bear the thought of someone seeing your messy house? And perhaps the greatest um, potential for hypocrisy in our lives as Christians is right here in the church. Why do you come on Sunday mornings? Is it so people think that you're this good Christian person? Why do I get up here and preach? This is a constant battle as a pastor. Am I preaching for your approval? Am I preaching so that you'll think that, oh man, he's a great speaker, or he's, oh, he's a great teacher? Why do you serve? Many of you, how many? We had over 50 people serving at our art and sports camp. It's phenomenal if you were serving for the right reason. Why were you serving? Why were you serving? Um, here's the thing. If, if our motivation is the approval of other people, there will be no reward from God. The reward you will get, if you can garner it, is that person's approval. But there will be no more than that. That will be reward. God, God will sit back and he will let you live that way. And if that reward comes, if you somehow get it, he'll let you have it. He's not going to force himself into a place where he is not wanted. And if you're doing these good deeds for the approval of man, you don't want God. You want that. That's the God. That's the idol you're serving. God will let you have it. What's the, what's the solution to this issue? How do, we, how, do we, how do we become another person? That, that if, if, you, if people admire you, great. If they don't, great. You have this healthy indifference to it all. How do we become that? Try really hard. Is that the answer? No, you should know that by now, right? Um, let's just say, oh, it's impossible. Is that the answer? No. What, what's the answer? You should know the answer now. We train with Jesus. We train with him. We are with him to learn from him how to live like him. Guess what? Jesus has a spiritual discipline for you. If you struggle with this issue, if pleasing people and what other people think about you, and you're, that, that is a burden that is so weary, it makes you so weary to carry. There is no freedom. That is a yoke that chokes. It will ruin your life. The solution, Jesus says, is I want you to engage with me. In this, and I want you to put yourself in a posture to receive my grace by secrecy. 
the spiritual discipline of secrecy. That's how we're going to break this issue in your life. You know why secrecy? Well, here, Jesus says this. This is what he says. Matthew, so we read it, but Matthew 6, 2 through 4. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they, may glory, glory, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. When you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is why the spiritual discipline of secrecy can put us in a posture to receive grace from God to become this person that isn't uh, bound by this approval of man. Look, when we're in the secret place and we're fasting and we're praying and we're doing these charitable deeds, we cannot feed on people's affirmation of us. We cannot feed on people saying good things about us. We cannot feed on people's elevated respect of us. We're no longer sustained by that. We can't be because people don't know we're doing what we're doing. And so when we're in the secret place with the Father, guess what has to sustain us in those disciplines? God and God alone. And the more and more and more we experience that with God, his grace then transforms us into people who are content and satisfied with God's approval of us alone. This is powerful. And then we experience freedom. Our actions are no longer dictated by what people think of us or will think of us. Because Jesus will call us to go places that aren't going to be popular. And if we're bound up in worshiping the idol of approval of man, we're not going to go in a lot of the directions that Jesus is calling us to. We must engage with him in secret. And then we will experience this reward, which is what, you know what the reward is that God's talking about in these verses? Himself. That's the reward. Such an intimate, vibrant connection with the Father where you sense his pleasure over you. You sense that you are his son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. Such great love, such great approval that it really doesn't matter much anymore what man thinks. This was Jesus. This was the Apostle Paul. This was Mr. Peter. This is how they were able to live and do the things that they were able to do. And so I ask you this morning to consider 
is this an area where God is calling you to partner with him, to train with him, so that you can be transformed? So that the habit of your heart becomes naturally not to care what other people think. Not in a flippant, like, because it can go the unhealthy direction. Sometimes I feel like I, I'm, I, I've caught myself leaning too far that direction, right? We've got to be careful. But maybe he is calling you to grow in this area. Why not commit to being with him in the secret place? Why not commit to engaging in the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and charitable deeds and giving? But do it in secret. Do you want to change in this area? (laughs) That's the question. Do you really want to get well? One note, and then we're going to take communion. Some people have taken this passage, and we love to make things like, um, they've taken the passage and they've approached it in a very legalistic way. Jesus, meaning they, they believe that they live such a secret life. Because they believe they can never pray in public. They can never give. Nobody can ever know if they do, like, give money. Nobody can know if they ever fast. I don't think Jesus is teaching that. I think we can pray in public. I think people can know that we're engaging in certain spiritual disciplines. I think it's the person that's struggling with they're doing these because they want to be seen by others. They're the ones that need to do this stuff in secret for a time, right? Just wanted to make that clear. Pray with me. As I pray, if the elders and deacons would come forward and, and be ready to serve communion for all of us. Lord, I, uh, <laughs> I know this has been an area of struggle for me. I, I think um, especially leaders and positions of leadership, uh, you can't help at different points to wonder uh, what people think of you. But I, Lord, I also believe I've experienced great freedom in caring a lot less. And that's only because of your grace that is working in me to transform me. I still have a long, long way to go in this area. Lord, I, I really do believe that we all struggle to some degree with this. Lord, I pray that we would either you would free us from this burden, that we would yoke ourselves to you, that we would train with you, that we would engage in the right practices that will be helpful to put ourselves in a posture to receive your grace. Lord, thank you that you so willingly shower your grace on us. I even think of the, the passage in James. If any of you lacked wisdom, ask. You give it to anybody who asks in faith, Lord. You are a generous giver. You are not stingy. You lavish your good gifts on us. But often you're not going to force yourself upon us. Lord, may we truly, truly desire your kingdom and your righteousness above all. May we have a singular eye that is just performing for the audience of one for you. To please you, 
and to love other people. Lord, as we take communion, we come before you as a family, remembering the tremendous act of your grace that makes this connection possible for us, that makes the giving of your spirit possible for us. Thank you that you paid the price for our sin, for us seeking after the approval of men and women. Lord, thank you that you had a singular uh, mindset, that you came to seek and to save the lost and to love the Father. And for the joy set before you, you did it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.